MSW Media. And now, a word from one of our dream sponsors, Blatt's Beer, circa 1950s. You know, if I didn't have the can right in my hand, I'd say this beer came straight from the tap. Hold everything. Let's hear that again. If I didn't have the can right in my hand, I'd say this beer came straight from the tap. Blatt's tastes so good because it's all draft brewed. Some brewers make a different beer for bottles and cans than they do for the tap. But we take our draft brewed beer, pasteurized of course, bottle it, and can it. That's why Blatt's tastes so good. I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know why Blatt's beer tastes great wherever you go. All Blatt's is draft brewed, that's why you hear. Blatt's is Milwaukee's finest beer. Draft brewed Blatt's, Milwaukee's favorite premium beer, now at local prices. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hope you had a wonderful President's Day weekend, and I'm happy to kick off a short week with you here on the show. We've got our old pal Steven Soderberg is going to be joining us in just a little bit. Steven, of course, one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood, and he has been for a very long time, but he, he also has a spirits brand called Singani 63. We're going to be talking about that. We've talked about it before, but got some updates on what's happening with that brand. Now, Singani 63 is the name of Steven's brand, but Singani itself is the name of the spirit. It's uh, an eau de vie from Bolivia. It's the national spirit of Bolivia. It's distilled from the white musket of Alexandria grape. It's only produced up in the high valleys of Bolivia, it's just down there, everybody's drinking it. And Stephen, of course, as he's mentioned before, discovered this while making the movie Che. He fell in love with it, and he has made it his mission to bring Singani to these United States and all over the world. And he's doing a goddamn good job of it. It's a good name, right? Singani 63. Simple. You know what you're getting. 63 is the year Stephen was born, and he just tacked that on. He's like, you know, it's like calling it Vodka 63, right? Smart. Simple. It's not always that way, though. I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, I once met a guy at a booze convention in Las Vegas, this thing called Wine and Spirits Wholesalers Convention. It's a big, big thing that happens every year. It did prior to COVID in Vegas. I met this guy, and he'd made a ton of dough in Silicon Valley and he wanted to pursue his lifelong dream of owning his own island rum. Island rum. He funded the project himself. He researched and development to contracting a reputable distillery in the Caribbean to make his island rum. He came to that convention in the hopes of securing distribution, which of course is the most essential step in the process. You can make the best booze in the world, but if you don't have distribution for it, well, what good is it, Right. It's like this podcast. I think it's an amazing podcast, but if no one listens to it, who cares? Anybody out there? 
Anybody listening? All right. So I asked this guy what he planned to call his island rum, and he told me he wanted to leave a legacy behind, something his kids could be proud to call their own someday. So he decided he would use his surname, the family name. Good idea. I wished him luck. We went our separate ways. I never saw him again. And as far as I know, he never did get distribution for his eponymous island rum. And that's a damn shame because Bob Hoare seemed like a good guy. Why don't you go back to your home on Hoare Island? The allegorical lesson of Hoare Island rum is that what's on the bottle can be every bit as important as what's in it. Crude, cryptic, or cliched names rarely give rise to successful products. Trust me on this. When deciding what to dub your small batch polke or chitterlings-infused whiskey, it's best to follow the advice of a legendary San Diego newsman and stay classy. Over the years, there have been many alcohol brand names that were genuine head-scratchers. I've tried most of them. Some came and went faster than you can say Stiffy's Vodka, while others have lingered longer than the odious scent of Donkey Piss, which is the actual name of a Reposado tequila produced at an award-winning distillery down in Mexico. Now, there are bad booze names, there are worse booze names, and there are booze names that are no, just no. Here's to the crappiest of all time, all right? We're going to start with the bad. First up, Tequiza. T-E-Q-U-I-Z-A. Real name, real brand, Tequiza. Now, this is a great name for an international pop sensation or an NFL running back. It's a lousy name for a beer. Medea Vodka. Medea is a character from Greek mythology who murdered a bunch of people, including two of her children. So make mine a double. <laughs> uh, nothing satisfies a hearty thirst for alcoholic refreshment quite like an infanticide-themed vodka, right? Right? Pucker? I don't know about pucker, right? Neat. It's like kissing, except sour. Sour kissing, then, huh? I guess. Hold on, though. Isn't Pucker associated with another orifice besides the mouth. That's right. It's the key ingredient in an apple teeny as well. It's all starting to make sense. Uh, next up in the bad category, we got dry sack. A dry sack, is this a sherry or a condition for which an old guy might need to see a dermatologist? What are you calling old? Real product. I actually still have some in. Somewhere in this house, I have some of this. Ivana Bitch tobacco-flavored vodka. Really? Now, when the fact that your vodka tastes like an ashtray isn't the most repulsive thing about it, well, you, my friend, have taken bad taste to a whole nother level. Speaking of which, bad taste, Trump vodka. Speaking of which, dude vodka. For bros who miss Trump vodka and pretend they understand what makes the big Lebowski funny. And now we're moving on to the worse. The bad, now the worse. Wodka vodka. Yeah. W-O-D-K-A vodka. Wodka vodka. Now is it me? 
Or does this sound like something marketed to preschoolers? When I envision the Wadka Vodka distillery, I see Oompa Loompas and golden tickets and children getting DUIs on tricycles. So sad. So very sad. Another, this is a real beer. Kid you not. Bishop's Finger Beer. From the makers of Wadka Vodka. (laughs) Okay. Not really, but the name does conjure some rather disturbing images, right? And by the way, the Vatican denies Bishop's Finger beer ever happened. How about Skinny Girl Margarita? We know that. Skinny Girl. Excuse me, ma'am. The gentleman at the end of the bar would like to fat shame you. There was a, another vodka. Why, why are all the bad? It seems like a lot of these bad names are vodkas. I don't know. What does that mean? It was a vodka called Porn Vodka. It was from Germany. Kid you not. Porn Vodka. It was marketed as an exclusive drink for those who know exactly what they want. Now, when I think porn, I don't usually also think exclusivity. But they may have a point here. If there's any type of porn that caters to the taste of just a select few, it's definitely German porn. By the way, this brand was extremely popular in the 70s, but uh, business went south after they shaved the stash off the bottle. Get it? Porn stash? All right. Bear with me here. We're still in the worst part here. (laughs) In so many ways. Uh, There was a cider called Dickens Cider. Dickens Cider. Dickens Cider. Hear it? Hear it? Dickens. Oh, I see. You took one of the greatest writers in the English language and used him to make a crappy misogynist pun. Bravo, sir. You are an inspiration to invertebrates everywhere. And don't kill the messenger here. I'm just telling you, this brand actually existed called Number One. That's the J-U-A-N, male name. Number One Tequila. Remember the time Dave and Buster's got in hot water for tweeting, I hate tacos, said no one ever? That really happened. Remember that? I do, yeah. Which is why we're moving on to the final category here. No, just no. No, just no. First up. Big Black Dick Rum. <laughs> From the hilarious people who brought you insecurity cologne and please make the bad feelings go away beer. Another product, I swear to you, this is real. Siemens Shot. That's S-E-A-M-A-N. Apostrophe S. Siemens Shot. Siemens Shot. By the way, just... I don't know if you're picking up on it. No one ever went broke underestimating the maturity of the booze market. Oh, and here's another one. Flicker, F-L-I-Q-U-O-R. Get it? Like liquor, but with an F. Flicker bean, coffee-infused whiskey. <laughs> First off, what in the actual fuck? Secondly, how soon before this becomes the official coffee-infused whiskey of Mar-a-Lago. Too soon? Too soon. All right. Another vodka. Look at that. Lo and behold, another vodka. And this one's called Balls Vodka. Balls Vodka. Have you had enough cheap sexual innuendo yet? Oh, wait. This isn't even innuendo. How about nut liquor? Nut liquor, L-I-Q-U-O-R, of course. Nut liquor, peanut butter vodka. Okay, Now, have you had enough cheap sexual innuendo? Belching beaver beer. How about now? Happy ending imperial stout. 
Alright, I'm getting tired of this, and I'm the one reporting it. Fat Cock Chardonnay. Oh, for the love of sweet suffering Jesus, tell me that's enough. No. Popsy sperm shaped vanilla cream liqueur. I swear to God that's real. Popsy sperm shaped vanilla cream liqueur. Okay, you bastard, you're on your own. I can't. I just can't anymore. Let's can we talk to Steven Soderbergh? Let's a quick word here from the people that make this show go. And I please, I I implore you to support the sponsors of what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. They make it all possible. And uh, and then we're gonna chat with Steven. So well, by we I mean me, Steven Soderbergh. I had some people over recently, and the homemade drinks were a-flowing. All my guests were like, dude, these are the best friggin' cocktails I've ever had. You're an amazing mixologist. And I was like, damn straight I am. What my guests didn't know is I was cheating a little bit. Of course, I used top-shelf booze in the drinks, and you gotta do that. But I wasn't juicing the limes or pureeing the prickly pears or grinding up the jalapenos that made my cocktail so great. All I did was order Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that brings the magic of master mixologists into your home with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Fresh Victor is here to let you put down the citrus press and get back to the party. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a juicy deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. You want to throw a party? Throw a party and treat yourself and your guests to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Joining me now, a man who needs no introduction, not here anyway, um, maybe on like Easter Island or uh, Samoa, but I would say in most of the, you know, the, the, the English speaking world, everybody knows who he, he's directed a ton of movies. He got Aaron Brockovich, the limey out of sight, the 17 oceans movies that they've made. Shay, the girlfriend experience, magic, Mike. Contagion knew something we didn't. Uh, Logan Lucky let them all tie. He's got so many. Been on this show too, numerous times, and we're lucky to have him. Steven Soderberg. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you, man. Yeah, been too long. It's been a while. You've been busy. I think since I last saw you, you've made like nine movies. Uh, I remember you and I. It wasn't that long ago that you and I. It was during COVID. We were masked up, of course, but. Uh, we would we did a little pub crawl around the Venice area because Stevens got Singani sixty three, which we love and we're going to talk about. And we went around and we were tasting with some local people here in Venice, California. And you talked about you were just going to do this movie with with Zoe Kravitz, and and then now, now it's, it's done. done. <laughs> but it didn't yeah. seem like it was that long ago. How like when did you make this movie? How quick did you turn it around? We shot in March and April of last year. Okay. Um, so as you can imagine, since it's a contemporary film, one of the big discussions when we were shooting was how, what we thought the world would look like in 10 months in terms of COVID and masking yeah. and all of that stuff. And, um, we, we 
I think we found we this was before the variants, um, but I think we we managed to find a, a level of of masking that when you see the film today looks about right. So okay. we got lucky. So it it happened quickly, and yep. uh, it's on it's Kimmy. It's on HBO Max now, and um, can you tell us a little bit about it? I, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, you know, how people do dry January, Stephen. I'm, yes. I'm doing a not try uh, February. So as part of not trying, I didn't even watch the movie. I, I haven't tried. Oh, nice. I didn't prepare for this. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I here. I, it's not out yet. I didn't get it. No, it, it just it, dropped today. It just, yeah. So, uh, I haven't seen it, but I, I'm going to, you know, that I watch all your movies. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of thrillers. I like thrillers. Um, and David Kep, the, the writer of Kimmy is um, the most successful screenwriter in history. I'm pretty sure. And when he pitched this idea to me a few years ago, um, I, I encouraged him strongly uh, to, to, to work on it um, so that I can make it. And it's, it's really, it's premise centers around one of these listening devices, uh, fictional listing device called Kimmy that that a lot of people have in their houses now. And um, Zoe Kravitz plays um, a voice analytics person. She she listens to streams that have been flagged for miscommunication. And and she's constantly updating this sort of Kimmy software so that it gets to know the people that are using it better and better every day. So you're talking about our Alexis, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And so um, as it happens, she hears something on one of these streams that she thinks is really questionable. And the company she works for is not very encouraging about her pursuing what happened uh, with this stream. And so she's a, she's a bit of a compulsive person and she won't let this drop. And uh, so things get pretty hairy for her. I'm excited to see it. How She's is that, how is working with Zoe Kravitz? Boy, she can she can do anything. She's uh, in baseball. You'd say she's a five tool player. She she really she's really exceptional. And you know she's in ninety six percent of the shots in this movie. I mean, it's her film. We really we're we're in her apartment. She she forces herself to leave her apartment, which is something she doesn't want to do. And then we're back in her apartment for the last bit. And she she carries this movie completely and effortlessly. And um, she just radiates intelligence. She's just so bright. And, and it's a really key component of her character that that she even when she's in a dire situation, she doesn't panic. I think the what happens when people panic is they forget everything that they know <laughs> that would potentially help them get out of the situation that's causing the panic. And so Zoe plays a character who's able in the, in the middle of these really crazy situations, you know, physically threatening situations she finds herself in. She figures a way out. And so it's it's. Like I said, it's a perfect Saturday night bottle of Singani movie. We love the Singani, and we are going to talk about that shortly. Uh, I 
was thinking about, I was looking back on some of your movies, and obviously you, you talk about Zoe Kravitz. You've worked with, by any measure, if you were to make a list of A-listers in Hollywood, you've worked with all of them. But I started thinking about some of your movies and some of maybe the not as heralded actors that have been in these movies. And I wanted to throw you out my list and then maybe get your list of you know some of the ones that you've worked with. Uh, just to me... They stuck out to me in these films, even though they weren't the you know the necessarily the key players. So one I was thinking was uh, Steve Zahn in Out of Sight. I loved his character. Eh? Yeah. He wasn't in the movie that much, right? No, I mean he's a real he's a real supporting figure in that, but he's just so funny. And that was one of the first that was one of the first times that I recall somebody self taping. And sending their audition in. Um, this was back in in a period where it was absolutely standard for you to see everybody in person that you were going to audition. And I remember Steve uh, sent in a tape that he'd made in his basement. I think Sam Rockwell was feeding him lines, and uh, he was perfect. He was exactly what you saw in the movie and I cast him off of that tape. And I think that was the first time I ever did that. And now it's just standard. Absolutely. And, you know, in some ways um, I think it's, it's helpful. Um, One of the things that I do that I have my casting director do is apart from the scene, um, I'll have her interview them and talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes um, because I want to, I want to get a sense of who they are apart from their their interpretation of the role. Because there have been a couple times where either I thought, you know, they're, I don't think they're exactly right for this role. But watching the ten or fifteen minutes of them talking, I want to plug them in somewhere else, playing a different part. Um, so I, I really, I really try to get a sense of them. Um, because I may also, if I see something exciting, I may have the part rewritten to fit, you know, their personality as opposed to trying to jam them into the role. Well, and you got to spend time with these people too. And I, that's gotta be important. I mean, I know you're, you famously work quickly. You're not Michael Mann or you're not somebody that's going to do 70 takes and, and that kind of thing, but you still have to spend time with these people. And, and I got to figure that's got to be a part of it is you want to know the person you're working with beyond just their skill set. Absolutely. And, and early on in my career, I would, I would do a lot of rehearsing uh, to, and really use that rehearsal period as a, as a way to get to know the actor personally. I stopped doing that a while back. And what I do now is just organize a series of dinners where I get people together and I can see them in the wild, you know, and, and that's, that's turned out to be a much more efficient way to get a sense of their, their real personality. They're all different. They all want to be talked to differently. Some of them want to go over every aspect of the role and, and, they have questions about everything. Some of them want to talk about everything but the role. Some of them don't want to talk at all. Um, you know, these are things that it's helpful to know before you get on set um, so that you're not wasting time um, doing, you know, character research. Another one I love, probably because I think I just fell in love with her in this movie. First time I was ever exposed to her was Olivia Munn in yeah. Magic Mike. Yeah, I just I can vividly remember 
the first time I watched that movie and going, Jesus, who's that? You know, like she just kind of radiated this. And and who was it? Also, the other the the main love interest whose name I escapes me right now, but but oh, both Cody. of them in that or- Cody, yeah, both of them in that movie were great. But Olivia Munn stands out to me. What, did was she was kind of unknown when you cast her then, right? She was, you know, she I knew who she was, and I and I I'd seen her before, but I I thought she just had this really um, infectious quality that. And, and, and it was important in that film that that Mike Mike kind of doesn't <laughs> Mike thinks the relationships at a different level than she does. And and so I, I loved how she came up with this way of of interacting with him that was sort of um, patient. You could tell she was trying to be patient. And also in that one scene, you can tell like she's ready to leave. And he wants to talk, <laughs> and so the the way she the way she handled that I thought was was really smart and funny. And of course, you know, we caught her on a on a trajectory. Uh, luckily, that that has continued to rise, and now she's now she's a mom. That's right. That's right, John Mulaney. Um, another one. I don't know if this is unheralded. He was famous. He was very famous, but but. In the movie, he's, I don't know where he would have been on the call sheet, but just loved him. Uh, Bernie Mac in Ocean's Eleven, late Bernie Mac. Yeah. Just brilliant, brilliant casting. Like he was Frank, Frank Catton, right? Yeah. Just Frank Catton. Uh, one of the best characters. What was he like? He was such a doll. And, and that was, that was a real tragedy, an avoidable tragedy, I think. Um, but Bernie, Bernie was just such a, a, a ray of sunshine. It was impossible not to be in a good mood around him. He really, he just really appreciated everything that he had, everything that he was getting to do. You know, he would say, life's not a rehearsal. You know, this is it. And and he really lived that way. And the only time that I ever heard him even remotely criticize anyone um, was uh, somebody that he worked with, a, a performer that he felt was, was not professional and, and, and didn't treat people well. And that just, it upset him. He, he, he just felt if you're lucky enough to be on a set, on a movie set, and you have a job acting, you know, you should really, you should, you should, understand how fortunate you are and you should treat people well and you should be a professional. You should show up on time. You should know your lines. Like he really, he had a real pride in being a professional. And so I appreciated that about him. And then on top of it, he's just hysterically funny. Um, So you're, you're laughing all the time when you're around him, but that was a, that was a real loss. And, And for me directorially, and I think everybody in the group felt the same way as soon as he was gone any idea of putting the group back together for me was impossible done yeah i watched you know over the holidays i i went back and watched bad santa again and uh <laughs> not only him when you think about gone too soon but also fucking brilliant in that movie john ritter 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a scene with the, the two of them, and you're like, and they're both gone. And and I was like, what an what an amazing thing. Now the the, the last one I want to touch on it. And I was kind of wondering, and I loved her in the movie. And this is going way back to the beginning. Was Laura San Giacomo in Sex Lives and Videotape? Who amazing. Yeah. And yeah. does she still work? Like I haven't seen her in much lately, but she, she does. She actually, she had a, she had a really interesting role in honey boy um, a couple of years back. Um, but she was, yeah, she was a, she was a wonderful discovery for, for all of us. And, and again, that's that, that was a tricky part um, that, that could have easily, fallen into a kind of caricature um and and Laura really understood how to how to round Cynthia out and and make her more than just you know the 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 bad girl sister who's got an issue um that she's playing out with her sister's husband you know that that could have been it could have been it could have been somebody you just hated from the moment you saw them and she really humanized it like she you really you really felt the underlying um issue that she had that would lead her to act out like this so she didn't she didn't feel like a cliche thought of you this morning. Everybody should know we're doing this. I never do this. I never do interviews this early, but Steven's very busy, so it's early you're in New York, I guess now. Yes. So I'm in California and it's it's morning. And of course, this interview falls on it's um, last night. I went to a a few I had to go to a few parties around town, which I don't never go out, but I went out last night and I woke up today and I had was feeling a little um, a little uh, under the weather, shall we say. And I thought of you because you (laughs) told me a hangover cure that I am absolutely convinced. I think you were fucking with me because it doesn't work sauerkraut so when you this is you told work me, for you you told me about this one time. so i go out and i buy a bunch of sauerkraut yeah. and, and and then at night well I get, it's the salt right it's the salt in the sauerkraut i mean salt helps you like if you're if you do you know if you know it's the fermentation it's it eats the sugar okay i've tried i've tried this didn't work it didn't work i just thought maybe oh, you were messing with me it like, really it really works for me i thought you were trying to make me get sick or something no i would eat sauerkraut at night i would never it's good for you anyway it's good for you now let's let's talk about singani a little bit I, everybody is on the edge of their seat they're wondering what's happening here steven has been working tirelessly so so everybody knows singani is a a product that is of bolivia it is the national spirit of Bolivia. Steven, as he's talked about on this show before, fell in love with it while making the movie Che and made it his mission to bring Singani to the United States, which he did. He has an incredible brand called Singani 63. And you've been working for years to get the TTB to recognize, because right now it's categorized as a brandy, correct? Correct. But you, rightfully so, think it should be categorized as what it is its own spirits category singani uh so that's the name of the brand so everybody knows that yeah. um, that's the name of the spirit singani is the name of the spirit singani 63 is the name of, Sp- of of steven's brand and it's the only one i think right that's commercially available in the united states right now no yeah. there's there's a couple of others the only um, one that matters that's what i meant the only one that matters. <laughs> yeah uh where is it you're where is it with the government right now can we, have we cut through the red tape Here's here's the last uh, development. 
Um, in September and October of last year, the, the Treasury Department and the TTB post a proposed rulemaking for public comment. So what they, they post this thing that says, we are planning to grant this spirit, this category. If anybody has an opinion on this, you have 60 days to say something about it. After that 60-day period, they are supposed to then provide a ruling, send you a letter saying that you have the category. This is, this, this is a sort of formality before you actually get the category is this public posting. So that was taken down at the end of October. And every two weeks, you know, we, we call over to Treasury and TTB and say, hey, what's going on? And they say, well, there are no roadblocks here. Everything's all squared away and tidied up. And, uh, you know, we'll let you know. Okay. So it could be next week. It could be September. Uh, it's, 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 it's a mystery, but, but we've done everything that we're supposed to do. And there, there are no obstacles uh, that we've been told that'll keep us from getting this category. But it's a big moment, obviously, in the life of the brand to be able to tell people you have your own category and it's a new category. Well, there's got to be a real sense of achievement on your part. And, and you've, you've always stressed this before, is the real credit lies with the people that are making Singani in Bolivia, right? It's not like you're, you're the guy that went dead, but you loved it so much. You felt like people needed to know about it and you wanted to share it with the world. And so you've always given credit where credit's due, but on your personally though, you, you, there's gotta be a real sense of, uh, of pride that you're this close and that it's going to happen. And that, you know, you made that happen. Um, let me tell you, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, you can ask Steve Lutman, who created LeBlanc Kashasha, and it took them, we're in year eight of trying to get this category. It took, it took them 10 years. Like this is, this is not something that they want to do. (laughs) It's, it's, it's really a hassle. And so um, it's, it's, it's newsworthy within the industry just because it's rare. Um, but for us, it was a must. I also just felt like, well, this is what you are there to do for people. I mean, the mandate of the TTB is to inform the public about what they're drinking. And so our case that, that people are confused when they see brandy on the bottle because that's not what they think brandy is or looks like. Um, I think that was that was the the wedge that started the conversation rolling is that, hey, if you're saying that you're all about helping the consumer, you're really not doing that in this instance. By the way, Stephen, I don't know if you know the mandate on my show, which is called What We're Drinking. Wow. It's my mission. See, I'm here. I'm a giver. They say not all heroes wear capes. Let me just say that right now, folks. Okay, now there's a tie-in with the Singani and the movies, of course, because this is what Stephen does. I'm told, I have it on, uh, I've been told by people in the know that you have created a drinking game to play while watching Kimmy. Is this correct? That's correct. So we, we created a cocktail called I'm Here, and... You're supposed to you're supposed to take a drink every time you hear the word Kimmy in the movie. And let me tell you, 
you're going to be pretty wasted by the time you get through. The movie's only 89 minutes long, but I'm telling you, as a Kimmy drinking game, you're going to be loaded. Okay, let me tell everybody, here's the drink. Here's how you're going to do it. First of all, you got to get your body, your bottle of Singani 63, but you were already going to do that. So you're going to take a, an ounce and a half of Singani 63, although me personally, I, I like to bump it up to two ounces. Just that's how I roll. Uh, three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, a half an ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half an ounce of fresh pineapple juice. Don't get the crappy, but get the good stuff. And then a half ounce of simple syrup, which we know is just water and sugar uh, combined. You're going to combine all of those ingredients with ice, shake it, strain it, pour it in a rocks gra- glass and top it with a little uh, cranberry juice. Do a little cl- cranberry juice float on there. That's your drink. I'll post that on my social media at the imbiber. You can find it there. And you're going to watch Kimmy, and you're going to take a sip every time they say Kimmy. And if you want to shoot a video of you doing that and send it to me, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll post something on my social, and I'll send it to Steven as well. Uh, so is, the, is, there an, is it just called the Kimmy drinking game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Kimmy and a smile. Okay. Now I got one more question for you. You've made really great use of uh, music in your movies, and I, I just it really adds so much to the feel of these films. Are there any, uh, here's why I thought of this, because I'm nuts and sometimes I'm walking around and I'll have my ear pods in and I'll hear a song and I kind of, I I think of my life as a movie sometimes. So I'm like, oh, this would be great in my life as a soundtrack. So if I'm walking down, I hear, and I hear this song and I think, well, if I ever make a movie, I want this. Is there a list of, is there a couple songs where you just think I got to get this song into a movie someday that you haven't done yet? No, there there was one, um, and somebody got to it first. Uh, it was a Salisbury Vel- Hill, Peter Gabriel. Oh, no, okay, it was a Velvet. <laughs> it was a Velvet Underground song, and um, Gus Van Zant used it in Last Days. And I thought, oh, see, this is what happens when you wait. If you don't, if you have a song that you're like, oh, I want to find a place for that, and you don't do it soon, somebody else is going to do it before you. So, okay. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. You know how in baseball, the players get to choose like their theme song when they walk up to the plate. What would you? <laughs> uh, probably would be my my walking up to do my. Um, I would probably go hit me with your best shot. Nice. There you go. I'm daring that pitcher to throw at me. You That's do it. Right. Yeah. Pat Benatar, man. Yeah. One of my one of my early crushes. Pat ben- oh. Most of my early crushes were it was Benatar. Um oh uh from Berlin. Uh oh what's her name? Oh yes. Terry Nunn. Yeah. I'll tell you a story about that. Not on not on the not air. On the not air. on the air, but there is a story there. But yeah, most of my early crushes were the Oh my goodness! Uh, the Bangles, Susanna Hoffs. Yeah, loved her. I well, you were, look, we we grew up during the birth of MTV. Did you ever do music videos? No, I didn't. Um, I mean, I, I did one for uh, a band in New Orleans um, that didn't get seen. I just did it to do it as a resume piece. It wasn't. It wasn't a real skill set that I had. Um, when I saw music videos that I thought were good, my reaction typically was, oh, I never would have thought of that. Um, so it, I did a concert film for the group. Yes. But that was pretty straightforward. I didn't, I didn't have that pure kind of conceptual, you know, my, I was too narrative driven 
to be a good music video director. Well, I think you've you found your spot, man. You, you, I've, you, got, I've, I've, I've went into another lane. You've done all right for yourself, Steven Soderbergh. Oh, can you give us can you give us an estimate? Because we are gonna we're gonna have a party. We we've talked about it. When this TTB thing comes down, is it going to happen this year? It's got to happen this year. I can't. It's happen I can't year. wait I mean, anymore. I, yeah, I mean this. I I I'm counting on it. Um, but it's, it's, it's real when you, when you're interacting with the government, you're, uh, you're not in a power position, but the problem is, you know, that we have, um, these campaigns, these sort of consumer facing campaigns holstered that we're waiting to drop until we get this category. Cause they're all sort of built around this idea of there's a new spirit in town and so it's that's what makes it really frustrating is we're ready to really move beyond, you know, the hardcore cocktail intelligentsia like yourself and out to a more sort of pure consumer based uh, place. And but we I don't want to do that until we have the category. What's well, coming in the meantime, you're, you're I'm sure you're going to keep working. Uh, what's what's up next for you? I heard. Rumors you're off to to the UK to shoot a movie or something like that. Is that happening soon? Magic Mike's Last Dance starts That's... shooting next month. Wow. And how long will that take? Two weeks? Uh, no. Um, no, two months. Two months. Um, but it's, uh, I'm really excited about it just because it's got so much dancing in it. And and I've I've always wanted to make a musical. And I think this is as close as I'm going to get. It's got extended sequences with just music and dancing. And I'm really excited. I wish I would have, I wish you would have hit me up. I'm, I'm, I can cut a rug, man. I don't know if yeah? you've seen me on the dance floor. Oh, look at me. Come on. I didn't know that. <laughs> I should have known. Everybody's from Philly can dance. <laughs> that's right? right. Yeah. That's Philly boys. Uh, Steven Soderbergh. He's got, Kimmy right now on HBO Max and we're going to do it. We're going to play the drinking game. I expect to hear from you out there with your videos and photos of this drinking game and and I will make sure that Stephen becomes aware of this. Go get Singani 63. It's one of the, I've said this before. I've written about it. It's one of the most versatile spirits out there. You can put it in almost any cocktail. I would I would say and and that's something because you know Certain certain spirits, while fantastic, they're only going to work in, in a limited number of drinks. Where Singani sixty three, anything that you are using to make a clear spirit, a cocktail, I think Singani sixty three works in it, and um, and it's cool. You know, like people go, oh, "What's that?" It's a conversation piece. I always think it's nice to have a conversation piece behind your bar, and that's one of them. So, uh, Stephen, as always, love talking to you, man, and. Uh, We'll see you when we have this, when this TTB thing comes down, we're, we're going to have the scoop for everybody. Oh yeah. You'll be first. I promise. Thank you, man. And what's extraordinary is like, so, cause on the, on the paper, you would not think that Magic Mike would be a stepping stone to being an Oscar nominee, you know, cause it, you, it didn't sound like that sort of film, but it was, I mean, you were amazing. <laughs> yeah. And is it true that the that strip at the fun. end was you? That wasn't, no one asked you to do it. Well, obviously, somebody allowed you to no, do it. No, he insisted. 
I would have done if I looked like that. Didn't leave me nude at all. Well, I remember that phone call when Steven Soderbergh, you know, was talking to me about the part, and I was already on one knee laughing at this world and this pitch. And he goes, you know, it's not in the script right now, but I've, Dallas, we, we, we think he really should have his own dance at the end. I mean, I think it'd be a good idea. And immediately in this year, my head's going, no, 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 no. And in this year, it was like, are you kidding me? You have to if you get a chance. If you don't, you'll regret not ever doing that. <laughs> and so, yeah, as soon as I found the song, which was calling Dr. Love and got that cleared, I was like, let's go have some fun, man. All right, all right, all right. I love talking to Steven. He is the best. And because Kimmy just came out, there are all kinds of lists ranking Soderbergh movies. Not a lot of movies. So I started checking some of them out. And before we go today, I just want to... Uh, Vulture just put one up the other day, and they ranked everything he did. But I'll just go to the top five. And and at the end, I'll tell you what I think... What, what, what mine are. And, I, and I'd love for you guys to get back to me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. Tell me what you think. Or, or shoot me an email, dan at whatwe'redrinking.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Soderbergh's filmography. According to Vulture... Top five movies he's made. Number five, The Informant. That one, Matt Damon. Matt Damon's done a lot. Everybody thinks about Clooney when it comes to Soderbergh, but Matt Damon has done a lot of great stuff, a lot of great work in Soderbergh movies, not only in the Oceans movies, but Behind the Candelabra. And this one right here, you know, The the Informant is just fantastic. Uh, I like it. Number five, I don't disagree with that. Now, at number four, they have the movie that started it all for Steven, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which came out in 1989. You know, as they say here, it's no insult to say that in the years since his first big hit hit theaters, he's rarely topped it. That's not an insult. I mean, his style's evolved and the technique's grown, but this is just, as Vulture put it, a stunning, it's the very model of the stunning first feature. So Sex, Lives, and Videotape at number three, Vulture has Ocean's Eleven. Who's going to argue that? Who's going to argue that? What a cast. Look at it. Jesus. Pitt, Clooney, Julia Roberts, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner, Don Cheadle, Bernie. Most Bernie Mac? Yeah, Bernie Mac. Yeah, Jesus. That's right. Everybody. All right. I don't disagree there. Two, they've got Traffic. Big one there. Soderbergh won the Oscar. For that, I think Benicio del Toro also won an Oscar for that. Catherine Zeta Jones was in it. Cheadle, you know, Stephen likes to work with the same people. And number one, and a lot of these lists that I've seen have this movie at number one, and I don't think you can argue it. Out of sight, George Clooney. This was the vehicle that made Clooney. I had to say it. I mean, it kind of did. Thrillist also just put out one, um, and there, theirs was interesting. Uh, Number five, they had Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Four, Aaron Brockovich. How can you forget Aaron Brockovich? No. Three, The Limey. What a good one. Ocean's Eleven at two. And again, Out of Sight at number one. Collider put one out a while back. and I But I like Collider. I used to do a lot of work with them when I was, um, I was hosting a weekly live stream for Flaviar. And the Collider folks were the did the technical side of it. So I like them over there. They're friends. And at number five on the Collider list, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Number four, Magic Mike. You heard Steven talk about they're doing a, the third movie in that one. Now he's going off to make that. London, good luck. Number three, Traffic, according to Collider. Number two, Contagion. Whoa, remember Contagion, right? I don't know if I'd have that ranked that high, especially after what we just went through, but Contagion's a hell of a movie. 
Also starring Matt Damon. Yeah. And at number one, Che. Wow, that's the movie where Steven discovered Singani. I don't know if I'd put it that high, but it's a good movie. Benicio Del Toro might have been... He, that's what he, he won the Oscar for Che, I think. I don't know. I should, I need, as I said, I'm not doing a lot of research these days. All right. What are mine? I'm going to go, I'm just going to, I'm just pulling this out of my ass right now. This is what I'm going to go. My, I'm going to go at number five, Aaron Brockovich at number four traffic at number three, sex lies and videotape at number two. I'm going to go out of sight and number one, Ocean's Eleven. I just, I, I love the movie. I have so much fun with it. And I could just watch. Every time it's on cable, I put it on. I love it that much. There you have it. And again, hit me up. Tell me what you think. Go to At The Imbiber. There's a great reels we just put up there. Steven, talking about Bernie Mac. So go check that out. Thank you for joining me on the show. I believe the next program, we're going to have uh, comedian Joe DeRosa going to be joining us and then we got another comedian after that brad williams is going to be joining us and then after that we got Stephen amell from arrow joy we got a bunch of good shit coming up a bunch of it i'm heading back to new york city in march to do another live show at the stand comedy club i can't wait to share that with you oh god it's all so exciting anyway folks thank you for joining me and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.